This is the Hockey Podcast Network, your home for hockey talk on every team in the NHL. Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of the Devil's Advocates Rebuilding Hell Podcast, brought to you by the generous folks over at the Hockey Podcast Network. We have another exciting, informative, and well, fuck it, rant-filled podcast coming your way. Stay tuned. I hope you enjoy Hello, Devils fans. It's Shane. Alongside, we got Neo. There won't be any Bayou Benders. I mean, he's been relatively quiet the last couple of episodes because of us talking too much. Um, but yes, he, he is unavailable on this week's episode, so it is just us two. And you can catch us on the Centurion episode because we spent like an hour talking about Ooh. a little bit of everything. So you'll be able to catch up on there since we won't rediscuss everything. Um, Probably won't. But we're actually going to jump right into a question that I came up with or thought of during that Senator segment when we were doing that podcast was, would you trade uh, Corey Schneider in a deal that brought in Martin, uh, Martin, uh, Martin Jones from San Jose if it included, you know, a good pick or prospect? Um. You know, honestly, that wouldn't necessarily be that bad of an idea because the the thing that I have a problem with, though, is that Martin Jones has three more years left on his deal uh, that he signed a four-year extension, I think, after last season with uh, with San Jose. So it would be – clearly the, De- the Sharks would have to make it worth the Devils, you know, wild. You know, they would definitely have to add a, one or two other things to it because they would say, well, we're trying to figure out who's going to be the backup um, but if it meant that we could move Corey Schneider's contract, I mean, that's great, except we probably only gain about 2 to $3 million uh, back because, you know, we still would have to deal with the extension that Martin Jones has. So I would say I'm like 50-50 on it because here's the thing. If you get, pri- if you get like Martin Jones from last year's playoffs, I'll be happy with it because then you would have a solid tandem of Mackenzie Blackwood and Martin Jones. But here's the other thing. Martin Jones is a starter. You would be trading a starter. You'd be trading for a starter. What would that necessarily mean for Mackenzie Blackwood? Would Martin Jones be okay with coming to a new team and being a backup where he had just been a starter and took the team to the Stanley Cup Finals in his first year and has had a decent amount of success? I don't really know. It would be kind of 50. To me, it would be kind of a weird deal because it would be like, well, we're getting rid of Corey Schneider's contract that only lasts another year, but we're taking on a guy's contract that is still good for another three years. And he has shown at times that he has really struggled to make even some of the easiest saves. I've watched a bunch of Sharks games and I've seen Martin Jones give up some pretty soft goals, um, particularly this season. He certainly has given up some really soft goals. And I think that, I think with the goaltending situation being that it is, I think that would be the last thing that any of us would want to see. But it would the Sharks would definitely have to add in some other things. I don't know what they have at this point, considering they basically traded everything but the kitchen sink. I mean, if they were saying, we'll give you 
Martin Jones with like, you know, you know, Kevin LeBanc's contract or, or Kevin LeBanc, if they still have him after this year, you know, I'm cool with that. But like, I don't know, getting Martin Jones for Corey Schneider, uh, it wouldn't be the greatest uh, move I, I've ever seen. I mean, plus I feel like the Sharks would want something else other than Corey Schneider because I don't think they would want to give six million. I don't even think they could afford his contract if they got him. But I'd, I'd have to look at the numbers on that one. Schneider's contract's at six million for another year. Another two years after this, I believe. Is it, two, like is it two or one? Uh, it's two. It's the 2021-21-22 seasons at six million. Okay. While Schneider is another six at uh, – oh, no, never mind. I'm looking at Carlson's contract. Another four at 5.75. Yeah. So you're, you're taking on – San Jose would be taking on technically a, a plus 2.5 – for an extra for a negative two years though so like they're still saving in the long run they're saving uh you know almost 11 million dollars while that's a good point you know new jersey's taking on that contract but long run they have the cap space and they need that goaltending i think when you're a 30 year old goaltender making a you know 5.7 like that kind of money and Teams wonder if you can be a legitimate starter. You're no matter if, unless you move, and I think this is Jones has a, a minimum uh, no trade clause, which means that he has to because accept any trade that he or he or he he sends in a ten list no trade clause. Or, or sometimes, like it really depends. Oh, for him, it submits a three player trade list, yeah, or a three team trade list. So he's only, he would only be allowed to be traded to three teams, which right. makes him moving Jones extremely hard for, right. for San and, Jose. And that's what, makes it, that's what makes the whole situation tough because, look, if the, if the, the Devils could move Corey Center's contract, I mean, it would be great. But if it meant that you had to take in another bad contract, even if you're getting some sort of asset, it, it would be kind of hard. That's, the, you know, that, that's what makes it tough. So – like, it would be a question also, is that, does Martin Jones want to leave? I don't think so, because on paper, you can make the argument. I'd say only on paper. You can make the argument that maybe the Sharks are still a contender. You could make that argument. Maybe it was just all the injuries this year. We don't know. Um, it may and well maybe, could have been. And maybe he could get back to playoff form next season. Look, they still have to figure out if they can bring back Aaron Dell the Sharks, because he's also a free agent. We don't know if he's going to be back. Maybe the Devils go after Aaron Dell. I have no idea. I don't know what the Devils want to do. I think, honestly, the way it seems to we're hearing it is that we're most likely going to see a Blackwood-Schneider tandem for next season so that they can at least let Schneider play out the rest of his contract, unless they can get a deal. If they get a deal that they like, then I say move them. If you can't, you know, you give Gilgis Sen or someone else who's in the farm system another opportunity to develop a little bit more and then go from there. Other than that, I can't really see. You know, there's one guy that I'm interested in. That was the deal that brought over McIntyre from Vancouver when the Devils traded Louis Demay. 
And McIntyre actually played relatively well when he came over to Binghamton and helped them win a couple more games. So is, is McIntyre a future um, backup goaltender? Is he part of the answer? We don't know. And I think part of the whole situation is that we're all taking it for granted as Devils fans because we had the opportunity to watch Martin Bernard play for so long and never had to worry about the goaltending position that much. Well, to be fair, you also look at who the backups were behind Berdur, they were still solid. I mean, you know, the most solid one to me was probably Jonas Hedberg. I would put Kevin Weeks in there. But Kevin Weeks is also good. Chris Terreri was very good. Yes, but Hed- Hedberg was a very solid. You know who I think is an underrated goalie because he was a career backup? Alex Hald. Hmm. Hmm. That's actually he, not a bad one. He was – he played in Ottawa. I loved him in Ottawa. I mean, he played in Montreal, Vancouver. He was he probably the definition of a career backup. But he was probably one of the best career backups that I remember watching. Because he could give you – on a season, he could play half a season. Hmm. Like, he could – he wasn't starter. Like, it, to, to expect him to be a starter – wasn't right. fair to him. But if, if he needed to play 41 games, he could give you a solid 41 games. Yeah, and he was – Yeah, go ahead. If he was in today's league, he is the per, – like, he was a tandem goaltender before tandem goaltenders were a thing. If he mm. was in today's league, he would be considered a gem. Like, he was just probably looked at as the – whatever team has him as a pure asset. Yeah, I could I could see that because you know, um, you know, he's a lot like that type of quarterback you see in the NFL where you could plug him in for six, seven games and he could, you know, win you a handful of games and be really good. But could he be a starter? Could he be the starting quarterback? That remains to be seen. Same thing, same thing with him. It's like he played, he was always a dependable backup. He was a guy that that when he was in the game, you felt comfortable with him going in. Because you knew he was going to play well. You knew he was going to give you a good chance to win. So that was the big thing. Um, but, yeah, you know, going back, you know, w- with the whole Devils situation, of all the things that I think people have been talking about where the Devils lack, other than defense, trying to solve the goaltending situation is of high priority because we're in an era now, I feel, where it's not about having just one good goaltender. It's about having two maybe even three that you can have play that are, that are really solid, that can win you games because, you know, once you get in the playoffs, it's important to have even a really sturdy backup in, in tough situations. That's why you start to see teams now. Whoa. They may not have a great number one, but they have two really good guys that both of them could be number one but, if they, they did that. And then, unfortunately, you have a situation like you had with the Islanders where the goaltender isn't used to playing that many games in a row. And as much as they may not admit it, they start to feel fatigue. And, and I think you, you saw that with Leonard in, in the Islanders last year when they went against a team like Carolina, like when they had to play Carolina in that second round series, they had to switch to Grace because Leonard wasn't used to playing every other night. Right. While, you know, both uh, McElhaney – I believe was it McElhaney in Carolina. McElhaney, McElhaney was the backup. Yep. And and Mrazek, they were used to it because yeah, they were a tandem, but they would play, you know, 10, 11 games in a row. And then you go to Boston, who and here's the thing why I think St. Louis got lucky 
was because they had their starting goaltender who played half a season. Right. Right. Boston, yeah, they had half a season's worth to play, but it's a different kind of they don't have they don't have the same wear and tear, even though they don't, they may have played the same amount of games, different wear and tear. Mm-hmm. But both goaltenders in that series knew how to play game every game. They knew how to play 20 games in a row if they had to. And yeah. I think when you look at it, yeah, the tandem goaltender is important and it's going to help you win games and having a solid backup is important, which is why Boston re-signed Halak. But you need a, you need a, not necessarily a true number one, but you need a number one. I, I, I agree with that. Absolutely. And, you know, fatigue and like load management is, is become much, much more of, of a bigger thing over the last couple of years. And I think when you look at, when you look at some of the, you know, recent teams that have won the cup, they haven't played as much. I mean, even with Jordan Bennington, he came in in the middle of the season and, you know, he was not tired that much once he got in the playoffs because he hadn't played a full season and he still had Jake Allen who was still relatively solid. So it's, so, you know, it was, so it worked out for him because by the time he got to the playoffs, he was pretty fresh and he was pretty rare to go with, Mackenzie Blackwood, what you saw, even two months into the season, you could already see he was showing signs of fatigue. He started giving up goals that at, at first was like, well, why, you know, how is he giving up those goals? Well, he's playing most of every single game. At one and point, when he was leading suck. the league in games played as a goaltender. And when, the, and when your team sucks, it's just that much more draining. Exactly. It just <laughs> makes it, it just makes it so just makes it so frustrating because it's like we we people think like oh he's just like maybe he's not that good it's like no the reality is that when you're playing if you've played 40 games in the season and your goal your one of your goaltenders has played 35 of them that's a huge problem because that means that you just don't have confidence in your backup because your backup stinks that's been the whole thing this year the joke throughout the season for a lot of us was like well, who's going to be the backup this time? Because at first it was Corey. Then we decided we thought Louis Domingue was going to be the backup, and that was a very bad idea. We brought in Gil Jusen for like a game or two and didn't give him any more opportunities. And the now team we're sucks. Why ruin him? But, I mean, he's also older than Blackwood. Well, now, and, and, you know, now we're back to Corey, and it's like we understand that Mackenzie Blackwood, there's a good chance that he is our future go- number one goaltender. We understand that. We want to figure out who can back him up that we feel comfortable with, that we feel that could come in and give, give Blackwood a decent amount of time off so that he's not burned out later on in the season or even 40 games in. Yeah, so, like, as much as Devils fans might hate this because, you know, that hate for that other team that I'm going to mention is, is real, which, I mean, I'm not surprised because you guys are literally, like, 45 minutes apart, uh, with the Flyers is – you have Carter Hart, which is the number one. Mm-hmm. And then you have Brian Elliott, who mm-hmm. took over when you when you saw fatigue hitting Hart because I'm sorry, playing junior, playing 68 games. Yeah, okay, it's taxing. But as a goaltender, you're playing probably 30 some of maybe 40, but you're also only playing on weekends. You're not playing every second day. You may play three days in a row, but then you're off for five, like you're off for right. four days. Right. So that's, you have that right. veteran goaltender in the back and then you go in and 
when Hurts, you know, he, you can give him three, four, five days rest or five games rest. So you give him like two weeks rest. He comes back in. He's ready to go, rested up. And then you have him go on another 20-game tear or whatever. Right. And, you know, so be it. And that's exactly what New, uh, New Jersey doesn't have is that – when they start seeing the fatigue from Blackwood. And I think that's the thing we saw with Murray was in, in Pittsburgh was when he got fatigued, they would put Flurry in. And when Flurry got fatigued, they would put Murray in. Right. And now that, you know, with Flurry gone, they didn't have a reliable backup. Like they weren't sure what Yari had, uh, Jari had or DeSmith. So they were playing Murray more. And then he got hurt. And then, you know, when you're, if you've played, if you've played any sport, you know, and you've ever dealt with an injury during that season, you know how frustrating it is to get hurt when you're on a rhythm, come back into it, play however many games, and then get hurt again. Right. right. You're, and you're on such a roll, and you're feeling like, you know, everything's kind of working for you, and it's, but you're still getting denied because of, because of injuries. And, like, it's, it's one of the most, if not it's the so frustrating situation to be in. It's so taxing mentally having to deal with that. And people deal with it, you know, people get hurt every year. Yeah, people get hurt every year. But it's a difference between having two, three injuries in one season right. versus being hurt two, three times over a course of a five-season like five span. Right. You have It's a totally different mental game. And when you have situations like that, you need a capable, capable backup. And we saw it again this year with Pittsburgh. You know, Matt Murray struggled with fatigue and injuries. Tristan Yari came in, was able to give him a foundation. And you're going to see another situation where Murray and Yari are going to be a perfect one-two combination for Pittsburgh, and they'll be fine. Because now they have that reliable backup. And Jari was an all-star this year, wasn't he? I believe so, yeah, because he but was he, having – Did he get voted in, or was he a replacement? Because, like, I remember – I think he like was I, a replacement for uh, Corpusello out okay. of Columbus when he got I remember, hurt, like, when I, I heard – when I saw him in the all-star game, and I was like, wait, wait. Where did he come? Like I was like, Wait, it was either him or Holt, maybe Holtby. I don't know. I'm gonna take a look, but yeah, he was. Uh, and he's pretty good. Like he's like he's he's developed into a really good number two behind uh, Matt Murray. But what makes what makes it so good is that if you can have two goaltenders that can both play as number ones, that can both be pl plugged in, and you'll feel confident with both. That just not only does that help you win games, but that just builds a huge amount of chemistry because then you just sit there and you say, okay, who's in net tonight? All right, cool. We're going to go out. We're going to go win this game. Like that's how it's going to be. And that's the thing. Like, see that, that, that was one of the things that I enjoyed as a devil's fan when we had Mark Tamberder and we had also um, um, Jonas Hedberg, because it didn't matter which one was going in. We, I felt confident with either one because they both played at a very, very high level and they were both very active in net. And that was a big thing. And right now, unfortunately for the Devils, the position that basically has been home to arguably the greatest goaltender to ever play the position is the position that's one of the most, one of the biggest difficulties the Devils have, have had since Martin Brodeur retired because, you know, Corey, we, we all thought that Corey was going to be the guy that was going to help us get back to, you know, being a Stanley Cup contender. But a lot of things ended up, you know, happening. The team got older. They started moving he on. To guys. He started to regress poor, you know, a lot. Uh, 2018 really is when I saw his skills, like, just but did, But 
Okay, but here's the thing. Did we really see his skills drop, or did we just see how bad the team really was? Oh, no, you started to see – see, that's the thing. You started you, – you make a good point because then you started to see, like, things like where you say, this team lacks a lot. Like, was it really that his first couple of years – yeah, I make – like, I early – like, two, three episodes, I made fun of New Jersey for giving Schneider a $6 million deal. Yep. Realistically, though, for both the time – Yes, I mean, to be fair, still – hindsight being 2020, bad trade, but – Overall, if you look at the teams and you look at his numbers, yeah, the wins and losses aren't the greatest. His save percentage and goals against are fantastic. They are. But, you know, was it is was the decline as big as people think it is? Because he did also deal with injuries within the same time. Yeah. But was it also the fact that because of the injuries and then because he was inconsistent, we really got a good glimpse. Uh, like, was he – like? For example, it was more of the la- it was really more of the latter because of the fact that we were used to for a couple of years early on in Corey's time with the Devils where he made a lot of big time saves and was very consistent and we weren't worrying about goaltending and defense. We were worrying more about this team can't score worth a damn. We couldn't figure it out. Once the Devils started to find guys that could put the puck in the net and Corey, you know, started to have his struggles and the defense started to have struggles, all of a sudden we're sitting there we're saying you know what? We really lack defense. And now it's become blatantly obvious this year, and we've heard it from everybody, including our organization, that, yeah, our defense is pretty piss poor. Even we if need you look, to figure it out. If you look back into, you know, his first couple of years, the defense wasn't that great either. No, and I think, he had like, to make so many saves because of it. Yeah, because, like, what, you made them – since he's been in, in New Jersey, they've only made the playoffs, what, twice? Once. Yeah. They made the playoffs once. In 2018, they made the playoffs. So you have Schneider, who is playing his butt off. You know, the same percentage in goals against don't lie. Like, I don't care about wins and losses because, you know, he had, up until recently, up until last season, he was a below three-goal average. Yes, uh, the 16-17, he was sitting at like a 293, a 2.93. But that's kind of the average in the NHL. Yep. So when you're, but his first year, you were sitting at below two. Right. How do you expect the team to to win? How do you expect a goaltender to continue to perform at that level when he basically needs to almost pitch a shutout for you guys to win? And that was and, the thing we used to say that like he had he had at times literally had to not give up an, a goal the entire game for the Devils just to be given a chance. If Corey was on his game, which Early on, the first three, four years he was with the team, he was on his game. The Devils would have a good chance to win, and they would lose a lot of the time two to one, three to two. And if we got the Corey Schneider that was playing a couple of years ago with the defense, with a better defense, like the Devils would have been a lot better team. They probably would have been a, a playoff team, honestly, considering some of the talent that they had even when they weren't winning that much. But it, that's the frustrating thing is that now we're all saying like, oh, Corey Schneider sucks, Corey Schneider sucks. Well, you know what? People have to look back at the times when Corey Schneider was the only good thing the team had. Other, you know, we had a bunch of old guys that could score from time to time, but we didn't have it. 
It started to change offensively when the Devils traded for Kyle Palmieri and his first year on the team, he was a 30-goal score. First year, 30-goal score. That's when it started to change. Now we're in a situation where we do have a lot of young players that can put the puck in the net and will be able to. What are we lacking now? Well, the team still has a very weak defense, and that requires both drafting well and maybe having to make a, a, you know, a move or two to try to get another defenseman. P.K. Subban is not a defensive defenseman. He never has been and never will be. He's an offensive defenseman, and that's clear as daylight. We don't have enough defensive defensemen. We don't. The only guy that's anywhere near that, you can make the argument, was Andy Green, and Andy Green got traded. So going back to the Schneider thing, his first three years, 2013-14 to 15-16, he minimum 150 games played. He had 172 games played, 169 starts, 69 wins, 71 losses, 27 overtime games, overtime losses. He was first in save percentage average over those three years at 0.924 and a goals against of 2914. The net, the second in the goals against was quick and he had 103 wins. Bishop was third with 112. And, you know, if you go over to same percentage, Bishop was second, Rask, 101 wins at two. Crawford was top five with 99 wins in both. And then Varlamov at 96. Like, he has had so, he horrible numbers in con- consider of win-losses. Yep. But, you know, he – and he – honestly, even – let's go. From the time he, he came to New Jersey – you know, he, his numbers have definitely dropped off because of the last couple of years. Mm-hmm. You know, but he's still sitting at a, 9 point, a, 9, a 0.915 save percentage. Uh, better than – same as Holpe, same as Lundqvist, better than Murray, uh, Bernie, Quick, McElhinney, Anderson. Like, he's still – it's just yeah. – No, I mean, again, this brings up, brings up this whole thing that – you know, people look at just the win-loss record and say, oh, well, Corey Schneider was average to below average. Like, he wasn't that good. But then you he's look at the 13. same percentage and the goals against. He's one of the top goaltenders in that time span. He's one of the top in the game. He's I used to 13th say to people, I used in to goals say against. He was on a better if – he, if the team in front of him was better, if they won more games around him, if they were able to give him more success – he would have been considered more for a Vesna trophy. I know that sounds a little ridiculous, but honestly, looking at his save percentage, his goals, his goals against, and the way he played, he was as good as any other of the top goaltenders at that time. And this was, you have to remember, when he got traded to the Devils, people thought that the Devils got an absolute steal because it was like, the Canucks were in a situation where, did they want to hold on to Luongo, even though he's getting up there in age? Or they want to go with Schneider long-term. And they moved on from Schneider, who had done time and time again, done very well in backing up Luongo, even when he was asked to come in in playoff games. So the Devils knew they were getting a guy that was, that was at that point. And that's why they made the move to get him. And, you know, yeah, like you said, 2020 hindsight, was it a bad deal? Yeah, you can make the argument because what did the number nine pick become? Well, Horvat, who is – a 24-year-old captain of the Vancouver Canucks and arguably one of the biggest reasons why the Canucks will eventually be a Stanley Cup contender. That's just the way I look at it. 
And, and it hid so many problems. Of course it did. Of course it did. Because here's the thing. When you have a goaltender that's making 30, 40 saves a game and keeping your team in these games, you don't notice it. You sit there and you say to yourself, holy crap, that's a lot of saves. But then when you, what you don't realize is you don't look at it from the other point and say, you know why he had to make 40 saves? Because defense can't do anything. They can't get in front. They can't block shots. They can't give them support. The biggest thing that the Devils were known for in the time that they won the three Stanley Cups, particularly 95 and 2000, was they had Hall of Fame defensemen. They had, you know, uh, Scott Stevens, Ken Danico, Scott Niedemeyer, okay? They had Brian Rafalski. They've had a lot of great defensemen that have played in front of Martin Brodeur. And does that lessen his the, Martin Brodeur's ability? You know, I understand where people are coming from, but here's the thing. Martin Brodeur would have not gotten some of the records that he did without the tremendous support that he had around him. And that's the thing that Corey Schneider was lacking. He was lacking solid defense, guys that could get in front, block some shots, and give him some relief. He didn't get that. And he and now that like he has been struggling or he was struggling, now we're starting to see it more, especially with Blackwood in there, because everybody my age loves Mackenzie Blackwood and everything, but we see him lose games that he shouldn't be losing. And that's primarily because guess what? Their defense is not doing what it's there to do. It's in the, your role on the team is in the name defense. You're not doing your job. And that's the big thing. I like how you use my line there. Yeah. I stole your line. I don't care. <laughs> I like it. Um, it was a good one. When I heard you first say, I, thought, I said, damn, that's a good line. That's a really perfect. good line. I like that. I'm gonna, and I was like, I'm going to use that now. Yeah, that's fine. Discredit me. Um, but here's the thing. Here's another number. Out of 18 goalies eligible, 150 games played his first three years, he had the least amount of goals allowed with 358 goals. Yep. Kerry Lentman had 92 wins, oh. 47 losses, 22 overtime games. Jeez, that's you want to talk about had 439 goals against, and he's yeah. he's first. But you have Varlamov up there, Rask, on like goalies that hit over 400 goals against Lundqvist, Quick, Luongo, Niemi, Smith, Holpe, Flurry, Rask, Varlamov, Letnin. In that same time period, yeah, a minimum 150 games played. Yeah, you know that's ridiculous. It is, and like, and like okay, yes, I will admit that over the last couple of years, I've been one of the Schneider haters because unfortunately, with goaltending. It's very much of what have you done for me lately? Right. And you add the contract and you add the fact that they gave up a first round pick. It's just like, unfortunately for, for Schneider is that he can't, what Schneider should have done was shit the bed early in like his first year in first year or two in New Jersey. He should have shit the bed numbers wise to make them realize that, Hey, we might have a problem everywhere else. And I think this is why they like when I look back on the trade, it's like Horvat would have fixed not a lot of your problems, mm -hmm. but a good amount of the forward problems. Yeah, no, I agree with that. I agree with that because And you also would have been able to see and also, you know, Schneider Schneider, you know, you may not have won the made the playoffs, but he's definitely a reason why you guys were contending for a playoff spot year in and year out. 
here's the thing that people, okay, and here's the thing, because I'll, I'll tell you a real quick story. I, I have a friend, and she got into the doubles a couple years ago, and she, she and I went to a lot of games together, and she was a big fan of Keith Kincaid. Why to this day, I have no idea, because I never thought he was that good. But we used to get in heated debates because I was a Schneider person and she was Keith. She loved Keith Kincaid, and Keith Kincaid got shelled in the playoffs uh, when they played Tampa. Who comes in relief for him? None other than Corey Schneider, who actually for the next four games was very good, and he kept the team in it. He won them a game. He went back to being the Corey Schneider that we all knew. And I said to her, I said. This is the Corey Schneider you never saw. This is the Corey Schneider that everybody doesn't talk about because they forgot that he, for about two, three years, was a tremendous goaltender on a team that had zero defense, that could not help him out at all, and also on a team that couldn't score worth a damn. That was a big thing. And, and now people were starting to see it and saying, I've never seen this Corey Schneider. And I'm like, no, most of you have. You just don't remember that he was really good and really consistent for about two, three seasons prior to that year. And that's what really did it. And it's unfortunate that he has gotten hurt so many times that it's hurt him so much, you know, playing-wise. But it's great that you start to see him play a little bit more like he can over the end of this past season before we um, had the stoppage. But what are you smiling at? Go, going all the way back to his time in Vancouver, the 2010-11 season, his first year in Vancouver, he still 150 games because most goaltenders, like, if you're an NHL starter, you've played that many games, so you matter at some capacity. He's played 260 games. He is first in goals against with a 2.13 and a save percentage of point. Two nine six, five hundred and thirty goals allowed. You have yes in a bigger game, and I think this is where people were gonna you know shit like hate on it. You know you have Quick and Lundqvist. Yeah, he split time with Luongo, which makes it even worse because Luongo is sitting at three hundred games, a point two nine one and a point a two point three three goals against. I Schneider should never be traded to New Jersey. He would have been better off being traded to a team that actually wanted him and would have actually used him. Here's the thing: you put his numbers in Ottawa. Ottawa wins a cup. You put his numbers in Toronto. His numbers in a lot of places. They they are a Stanley Cup contender. Easily. I mean, you, honestly, you like, put you put you know as as effective Crawford was during those runs. You put a 2000 and you put any of those Crawford, any of those Shan, uh, Schneiders on any kind of near playoff team, they're automatic playoff contender. I agree. Easily. If you put, if you put Corey Schneider on that 2016 Sharks team that went to the finals, I think they win the cup that year. Yeah. It, it would have been very hard for the Penguins to find the back of the net because he was playing on such a high level. And Even that's if you put, you put, if they trade, if they decided to trade for Schneider, uh, heading into the 2013-14 season. They go to the Cup that year. The Kings don't make it to the finals. I agree. The Sharks do. Right. If the Sharks versus Rangers finals. It's, it's that simple. Yeah, I agree. And, I mean, you know, it's, it's so – and that's the thing, like, 
I've never, you know, obviously I'm one of those people that like, you know, has always enjoyed Corey Schneider and I've never like, I've never really regretted the move, even though like I, we mentioned, like what did it end up becoming? That first round pick ended up becoming Bo, Bo Horvat. Okay. Would we be saying the same thing if that first round pick became nothing? I, you know, no, obviously, but like, it's just frustrating because I'm the type of person that says, look, I watched this doubles team when they weren't that competitive, when they struggled to score goals, when their defense was more solid, and Corey Schneider was a tremendous goaltender. And people, unfortunately, don't want to hear that because, like you said, it's that whole mentality of, like, well, what have you done for me now? And that's understandable. Which, it's sports. That, that's right. Unfortunately, that's the price you pay when you're a professional right. athlete. And that's is, the frustrating thing. And, you know, as fans, that's, you know, you don't care. And I think this is the thing. We we talk about Stanley Cup wins, but when you say, you know, example, Montreal's won 24 Cups. The the thing we say the most is, okay, but you haven't won any in the last 20 years. Right. You talk about Toronto not winning a Cup since the the 60s. You know, it, it, we, talk, we talk about it in so many aspects, but when then it comes to players, it's like, oh, but he had – so many great seasons before it's like yes he had great seasons and you and for the people that deny that it's it's ridiculous i know and and it's it's just because it's ignorant and you shouldn't like if a player's had great seasons acknowledge it but here's the thing huge bobby ryan fan we'll never deny it always been a huge bobby ryan fan when uh he jersey guy yeah uh cherry hill which is uh south jersey And, you know, I've been a fan of him since he was with the Ducks. I will admit that is he overpaid? Yes. Considering considering who the way he plays right now? Yeah. Dude, if you look back on his career, he had a 70 point season. He came into Ottawa, had a couple of, you know, 40, 50 point seasons. He was still relatively young. You pay a little bit more to, you know, you expect it to be consistent. Seven million for a 60, 70, 80 point guy. Yeah, that's it, a little overpay. A little bit, but when, when, to be fair, at the time that his contract was signed, we, we didn't have 100 points. Like, we didn't have players that were popping 100 points on the regular. I, right. I think during those years, the average was like 80, like high 80s, low 90s. So if you had a guy sitting at 70, you had a good chance of still having like a top 25 point getter. Mm. So in, in that retrospect, the contract was good at the time. And he, he lived up to it. Like he had good years after. And then things happened and it started a downward spiral. Yeah. And, it, and it affected things. And he, you know, I think a lot of fans have started to realize that what those things were affected his play and people have now become a little bit more lenient on it because they're like, okay, there was something going on. We understand that certain things have the effect. So people are a little bit lenient. I will still say that he, you know, he can come back and have it at like 33. He can come in and have a solid, you know, turnaround campaign and, you know, have a career year. It can't happen. He's going to be looked at more, going into next season as one of those like leaders, locker room guys, because they're, you know, Ottawa's a much younger team and they're looking to try to, you know, you know, take that next step. But I mean, here's the thing, Bobby, what Bobby Ryan, you said is 33. I believe so. If I remember Okay. Like that, at least you can say he's not on the wrong side of 30 just yet. Um, you know, he can still be a productive player. 
Uh, you know, I still, you know, when I saw him play, you know, when he came back and he had that, what was it, four goals? He had a four. Patrick, I, I made TV that day. That was the, that, you made TV that day. Yeah. You were at the uh, game? Uh-huh. You really think I was going to miss his first game back? You know, I was cheering so loud. I mean, that uh, must have been, that was one of the craziest things, like, because I was on my phone and I looked and, like, NHL, my NHL app was like, Bobby Ryan has just scored a hat trick. I said, wait, Bobby Ryan's just scored a hat trick? I haven't heard that name in about four years. Like, what yeah, I mean, he was, he was, he also left midway through the season to deal with his problems. Well, and, you know, good for him. It seems like he's kind of, you know, gotten through it, and I'm happy for him because, you know, other than obviously the fact that he's a Jersey kid and I always cheer for, you know, guys that play in the home state who play or from my home state, um, you know, it's uh, – He's, he's always been a very good player. And, like, you know, my favorite goal that he ever scored, I think, and correct me if I'm wrong, because obviously you've watched more than I have, but he scored, what was it, in game one of the conference finals in 2017, he scored the overtime winner? Is that, is that game yeah, one? Yeah, I think so. Right. I remember, like, I remember, like, freaking out because I was like, because, like, oh, my God, it, like, is, you know, Bobby Ryan scored. And, like, I was, like, pumped because I thought it was cool that the Ottawa Senators were in the um, finals that year. I was like, you know, and now you're showing me the, the whole thing. And, like, that was nuts. So, um, there's, so there's Bobby Wright celebrating. Oh, Chris Tierney. Oh, that's a Yeah, the, the, so this is cool. Chris Charco G. Bobby Ryan scores. Chris uh, this Tierney. is yeah. – uh, Wait, man, so I was, you made, you made I TSN. Called, uh, I made TSN and Sportsnet. Um, Sportsnet, okay. But I called this a hat trick before the game. I'm like, watch him score a hat trick. And lo and behold, he did, scores a hat trick. Well, the question is, did you really think he was going to score a hat trick? Yes. I felt like, because I remember Anderson coming back from his whole life thing and having a shutout. So I'm like, honestly, there I am. Oh, there you are. Oh, wow. Oh, wait, that is you. I do remember this video. Yo, that's crazy. Yeah, I was you freaking. You are freaking out in that. Like, you are. I was. You have out. no idea. I called it. I was super excited. Whoever you were screaming at, that made me laugh. You were just like right in her face, just like yo. Yeah, because I hey, I said it. I told. I knew I was gonna do it. And That's crazy. I I yeah. I lost my voice. I was. I didn't have a voice for like three days. I had people coming to work, being like, "I saw you on TV," and I'm like, "Hell yeah, you did." I had people messaging me. So now, so now you're just waiting for TSN to give you the call to, uh, to take over, right? For uh, oh yeah, totally. You're still you're, you're waiting on that. There you go. There you go. Um, you can, you can be on a sport on their sports center. Uh, yeah. So, I that game, I was super excited. Mm. But you know, it, it. I understand where people come from with that mentality. I think everyone's guilty of it to a certain extent is like even if they don't mean it like in, in that negative content like everyone's guilty of it yeah. like and when you add the contracts that people have nowadays if everyone was like making two three million dollars whoop do you do like yeah there wouldn't it's just you add in the fact that like people are making seven eight million dollars and you have to educate people. you really like, you have to educate you have to educate people because like I know a lot of people, you know, here living in the United States that, like, obviously hockey's not number one for, you know, not surprising at all. So, like, when my brother, I told him, like, Corey Schneider's making six million, he goes, that's not a lot. And I go, oh, no, 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 no. That's a lot in hockey. Like, that's, like, the equivalent of making, like, 60 million. 
It's like it would be this the equivalent of giving uh, your number three receiver uh, seventeen million dollars a year. Right, and, and to do to not to not you know make enough contribution. It's like that, and he goes like, "Oh, that really is a lot of money." I'm like, "Yeah," and it's like because people were asking me like, "Oh, Taylor Hall wants nine million. That's like chump change," and I'm like, "No NHL franchise feels comfortable giving nine million up because they don't have that much money." That's no, like I feel like money. No, they do. And here's the thing is that when you're comparing the leagues, you know, if you go based off a product for, and I think, and this is the thing I've been saying about the NFL versus CFL for years. If you go based off a product for product, play for play, the CFL is more exciting to watch. Because the field is wider. So you have an opportunity for position players to make it's a lot wider of plays. It's, it's also longer. It's, 30 yards longer, you get 10 yards extra in each end zone, and then you get five yards on each side and into the middle of the field. Um, so instead of a 50, we have a 55. But if you go pound for pound on the product, it, like literally if you were to watch a game and uh, someone like you have no idea what the C- who, which one the CFL is, which one the NFL is with no audio or with mixed audio, and ask them which one they probably liked – I, I feel confident in saying that the majority would probably say the CFL. Mm. Well, it would also be done quicker. It would all yeah, like. I think, I think that's a good <laughs> argument because like I I've watched I haven't watched that much CFL. I mean I've watched a couple of games in my time, and I remember every time I've watched, I said like, I just love watching because it's just so much fun to see like a bunch of like high scoring. There's a lot more open field. There's guys that I've never heard of that like are stars in the league and everything. And, and it's like really cool. So and like, to be fair, this isn't to diminish like the skill set of anyone, because there are certain players that in the NFL that thrive in the NFL that would not thrive in the CFL. Right. Because they don't fit like in the NFL, you can force an offense around players. You can force an offensive game plan and you quarter, you see quarterbacks force things all the time. They can force it to the receiver in the CFL. You can't, you have to, you literally have to take, what is what is the best option? Because you have that wider field. Not you, you know that fifteen yards makes a difference, right? So, you know, I think if you look at it pound for pound, yeah, the CFL is a better league. You talk about money and the way the NFL has turned the game into a, a show more than like has you know the pre-games the post-games the halftime right, more than more than focusing on the sport itself it's more than a game to right. that and hey credit to them for being able to utilize it and turning it into that i have to you know business smarts as a business person that's fantastic yeah and i think in canada we have this idea of the, the there's an idea of um the american media propaganda and the idea of being a Canadian who look, who considers themselves like a distant American in terms of like their likes and dislikes and whatnot, where they hate, they're, they're anti-Canadian, even though they live in Canada and they reap all the benefits of living in Canada. Um, and that's the problem is that we have those people up here. And because, you know, the NFL doesn't like competition, we don't see the exposure that they should in the, in the, of the CFL in the States, like if you were to take the NFL and put it through the same situation the CFL has been through, the mm-hmm. NFL doesn't survive. 
This would definitely be something to to talk about on the thirteenth man. I th- I feel this would be like oh a yeah. I mean the, the NFL almost full. If it isn't here's if it isn't for that one man, I'm not going to name him. If it isn't for that one, sp- if you know the history of the United States Football League oh. and during the eighties, if oh. it's not for that one oh. individual who decided to who decided yeah. to say it's is who decided to to we got one dollar way off who got off way off path of what this league was supposed to be like and tried to compete directly with the NFL. If he did not do that and did not convince everyone in that group to do it, it the NFL probably wouldn't be the giant that it is today. Maybe the USFL is still existing. Who knows? The US, like you would have three football leagues in North America. I would take that. I mean, I'm sure a lot of people would take it just because of the fact of everything. But, um, but yeah, no, just kind of going back to um, to our original point because we were we kind of just went like way, way, way off topic um, for about a half hour. But uh, look, at the end of the day, it's this: the Devils' biggest need, without a doubt, other than defense, is definitely goaltending. I mean, it's it's clearly and. If Corey Schneider can get back to playing at the at a, at a certain level that he is capable of playing of, which is you know making you know really big saves and also getting the support that he needs, you know I would be very happy to have him as a backup. I really would because I, I he can still he can still play. It's not like his skills have like fully deteriorated. It's just that he's dealt with so many injuries that it's derailed him of consistency and also the fact that he's had to work his ass off trying to help this team stay re- stay relevant through a couple of years of being pretty much mediocre, you know, it, it's going to take a toll. It's like we were mentioning before with the whole thing of like being fatigued. Well, Corey Schneider's body just got fatigued from carrying, from, from, you know. His shoulders he, gave out. His legs, his knees buckled because he was carrying the franchise he, for so long. Exactly. Exactly. And that's, so, and that's what I'm worried about with Blackwood. If you don't fix this defense, the same thing's going to happen to Blackwood, and you're just going to keep going through the same stupid cycle that needs to be fixed. And that's what I'm looking for to see improvement. I want them to focus on the defense. Now, they, now they have guys that are coming in the system, like a Ty Smith, like a Kevin Ball, that maybe down the road could be there. But, you know, even now going into next season, they need to make some. They need to make a move or two to really up their defense. They traded away Sammy Botnin, who you could argue was probably their best defenseman all around. And Damon Severson does need to take that next jump if he wants to be that top that top pairing defenseman. Because at times he can he can be that top pairing defenseman, and other times he can just completely disappear. And getting rid of guys like Mirko Mueller, who have never, ever, ever brought anything to the table whatsoever would be just Andy. I mean, I think if if he's available, there's one player I think New Jersey goes after, and one player only, and that's Jamie Drysdale. Jamie Drysdale. Yeah, defenseman, right-handed shot out of Erie, uh, Erie uh, out of the OHL. From the, so for, you talk about from the draft standpoint. Yep. Drop standpoint. Okay. Do you want to talk about a one-two combo? Is he projected to be a first-rounder? Yeah, he's projected to be. He's the best defenseman in the draft. Wouldn't be surprised. Well, obviously, first of all, it would depend on where the doubles would be in the draft. But, yeah, I mean, it would be. If he's a – like, there's two guys. I mean, really only one because Sanderson's a left-handed shot and you already have two of them. 
in Ball and, and Smith. So if available, which I, I all, all of science point to him being available after four. Right. Um, if New Jersey's at five, six, or seven, there's a big chance that he is available in that slot, depending on who, how they, like if it's Lafreniere, Byfield, Stetzel, Byfield, Stetzel, uh, one, two, three, you know, there's a chance that Holt, Holtz and Raymond go three, four, uh, four, uh, four, five, yep. or yeah, four, five, you know, Rossi's in there. Jack Quinn has moved up in there. Uh, there's so many moving parts so that you could see Drysdale fall out of the top five. Uh, but if you, if he's all aboard with New Jersey, I expect New Jersey to take him because he would fit perfect, especially if you don't plan. Because, like, the worst thing you want to do is put them in a situation where they're going to fail. Right. And you can, right. you have Ty Smith and you have Kevin Ball. They'll be probably in Binghamton next year, bouncing up between New Jersey and Binghamton. Mm-hmm. And then you're probably going to have – you draft Drysdale. There's no pressure to have him playing. So, right. guess what? You just send him back to Erie. Uh, and you let him play in the OHL. You allow him to go to the World Juniors and be a, a legitimate – contributor to yeah. the Canadian another Canadian gold medal and you just you show it <laughs> you took a while to took a while to catch on to that. No, you just you, yeah take one take another one away from the United States. Yeah I got you. Um, I got you. Hey at least we don't need a shootout to win our gold medals. You Canadians really love to do that don't you? You guys and, really love that. Hey, yeah. we don't need shootouts to win our gold medals. So, oh, okay. All right. Uh, All right. Cool. All good. Hey, All good. The same. I don't. I don't really have much of a comeback, honestly. So I can't. Because uh, you know I, it's true. I'm not gonna say it. You're right. Right. You I don't talk about took, 20, you, I don't talk about 2010. I just don't. Oh, the golden goal. I don't tell. Yeah. No. I call. I call it hell. I call it hell. I call it. Um, I can't believe Ryan Miller let a goal like that go through his legs. He wasn't expecting a shot, which I don't blame him. Most goaltender, I don't care who the goaltender is, you don't expect a shot from there. I know. You don't ex- like. I. That's hey, just, you know what? At least, at least the U.S. took away World Juniors from the U.S. like two years uh, from Canada two years yeah, ago. Yeah, in a shootout. Oh, so what? They won. In a shootout, oh, skill by the competition. Way, by the way, in a in skills like competition. That, in games like that, there should be no shootout. That's what I'm saying. That's what you, well, I agree with two, you. Like, you took two gold medals from Canada. Well, I think in, in general is stupid. In the World Juniors and the Women's World Championships on a fucking shootout, and I hate it because it's stupid. How do, imagine if we the decide, shootout is dumb. Because uh, the shootout is dumb, correct? In, okay, regular season, I can okay, I can I can I can deal with it, you know, whatever. You want games over with. I can imagine if a fucking game seven of the Stanley Cup finals. Well, and it's decided on a fucking shootout. <laughs> oh, I would no. I've said it. For, my, my 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 dad and I. The one thing we hate more than anything about hockey is the shootout. We despise okay. it. Like now, I understand. It partly it's because the Devils can't win in a shootout and they suck at it. But like, I just hate the whole concept. It's such a dumb way to end a game. It really is. Like I mean, to be fair, it says it's just as like soccer penalty kits are worse. Oh, that's the, oh I hate. So I like, hate that about the sport. I, I really hate that. I hate so ties like, as well. Ties piss me off. Yeah, see it like I'm like I'm like, you know what? I don't feel good if I go to a soccer game expecting a win or loss and I end up with a tie. Let me make me see I don't mind ties because I'd much rather tie than lose to a fucking skill competition. Fuck that. 
That's what I'm saying. I'm like, I was pissed. Not because like that the US won. Like if the US won, because the they US wanted win. a shootout. It's the one the yeah, they wanted a fucking they shootout. If they wanted right. overtime, they wanted if they, like if they wanted overtime, okay, you know what? I, I'll give you that. You yeah, you won. You won in a fucking shootout. Congrats! Like, indeed, like you won in a skills competition. Cool. You're able to beat a goaltender one on one, which should be done more often than not because you have the advantage. The players have the advantage because you're the ones who make the first move. Yeah. The like actually technically you're the ones who's supposed to make the second move. You're supposed to make the goaltender make the first move. Yeah. You have a fifty. Look, in those situations, you have a fifty-fifty chance of scoring. Hell, like, let's say even in a 75-25 chance like, of scoring. Just, I don't know. Like, at the end of the day, I just wouldn't want to say that. But, but hopefully with, with where the Devils have focused on with some of their younger players, you can hope that, you know, things will get better. Um, it'll be interesting to see if uh, uh, Fitzgerald becomes the full GM, which I think he will considering the situation. I think because of where everything is, I think he will end up being the, the, the full-time GM. I would just be interested to see what, um, who they bring in to be like the head coach because a guy like Gerard Gallant would, would bring a different attitude that I think the Devils have been lacking. Because, you know, what, what made Gallant really good in Vegas is that he made those guys, like, feel really proud and really happy to play in Vegas, you know? I'm sure when guys got, you know, drafted there in the expansion draft, they were like, you know, oh, we're going to Las Vegas, but, like, how good are we really going to be? Like, what, where are we going to go? And they had that whole horrible thing with the shooting, and they kind of, you know, the, the city rallied around the team, and, and everybody just kind of felt, you know, proud and, and great to be part of that Vegas team. And Gallant was a big part of that. And he was a big – and he really did a good job of putting those guys together in really good lines and having the success that they did. So bringing a guy in that would make people – that would – make the players feel more proud and more wanting to play for the Devils. Um, and a guy also that's going to get in your face, um, whether it's with the team or, or even with the reps, uh, I will take that as well. So, so there's a lot of optimism, but there's also skepticism with it because we just went through five years of thinking that we are getting to the point of being a Stanley Cup contender, and now we're back down to square one almost, if not like square one point, you know, You've been at square one a lot longer than the team has wanted to admit, and it's hurt that's, the team. That's the problem. They, should, like, they we, shouldn't have admitted that they were at square one when they got Hesha in the draft. They, we needed a lot more. We over, the, the reality is this. The Devils overachieved in 2018. They really did. By well, making they overachieved playoffs, a long time before that. Well, the Devils, and, and I think Ray Shiro would say this, you know, if he wasn't on camera, I think he would say this. Making the playoffs in 2018 was a very bad thing because it unfortunately forced him to make moves that he probably didn't want to make. You know, one of the things that was so head-scratching was that he didn't bring back any single player that was um, a UFA after the team made the playoffs. Like, Pat Maroon didn't come back. Um, Pat you know, Maroon's overrated. Well, I enjoyed him as a guy standing in front of the net. That's what I appreciate. Him and Brian Boyle. Yes, but um, unfortunately, the John replacement. John Moore did not come back, and John Moore was – uh, a very, very good defenseman. Probably would be the best on the team if he was still here. Yes, um, but those guys are, like, especially Maroon and Boyle are considered replacement-level players that, you know, if they're asking for three, four million dollars, you don't necessarily feel confident in 
get giving those players that kind of money when you can get them at a, a cheaper, probably younger price too. Right. But I, you know, it, it was, it was somewhat of a head scratching move when like no moves were made and not even like we didn't even bring in anybody. So we were kind of all wondering where exactly we were going with this. And I think that, you know, it, it's just, unfortunately at the end of the day, the term with Ray Shiro and John Hines was just not good. It didn't produce much except, you know, obviously getting Taylor Hall, but he ends up getting traded. And we get the first round, the first overall pick in two of the last three years and became the Oilers of the East, which um, which is not great, but, you know, it is what it is. Um, So hopefully with a different general manager who, from what I can tell, is a lot more honest with where the team is and where it needs to go um, and a different attitude, I think, would be um, is going to make people be uh, optimistic. But again, for me at least, there's going to be that skepticism because it's like, okay, we've kind of gone down this road. Um, I don't really want to get my hopes up again if we're going to end up going down the same way we came up. Yeah, I mean, so that's that's my that's my final uh, my final thing on that. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, for ownership, it falls, you know, who knows what was told uh, like behind cameras, behind closed doors. Maybe maybe ownership at the time was like, hey, you know, we we got this guy to replace Berger. You know, we gave up a first-round pick for him. Yep. Uh, you know, we feel like we can contend. Let's continue. Like, And if Shiro was like, okay, but, like, we, we shouldn't, you know, it's either do as you're told or get fired. And get a lot, fired you know, well, that's what unfortunately, happened. Unfortunately, you know, at the time, you like most people, you just say yes, sir, and you do what you're told to do. And I feel like that's kind of what happened with Shiro. And now they may not be on it. They, they may not, obviously, ownership may not be like, oh, yeah, we admit to it. But I think that at the same time, there is a level of responsibility that fans need to put on owners for the fact that owners do get a say in how the teams run. Like don't just pretend that owner is there with, you know, twirling their thumbs with blinders on like, Oh, I have no idea how my teams run. Teams owners want to be in the playoffs. Of course. And you literally just came off going to the Stanley cup finals. And if, you know, same thing with Ottawa was, you know, they admitted it. A lot soon. If New Jersey admitted that they played over their head, which they did in that 2012 run, you know they'd be in a lot better shape now. But ownership was like, "Nah, let's milk the like, let's milk it. Let's, you know, we had success." Same thing with that the was, That was the old ownership actually at the time. That was um, that was Vanderbeek. He was still the owner of the team. It wasn't until the first year that Shiro got hired they had the new ownership from which Harry was Blitzer, which, which was, was what. Which was twenty, um, which was twenty fifteen sixteen. Yeah, and they should have announced like, and that's kind of where you've already had, you've already seen problems. You know, they traded for for Schneider before. Then, like the the established idea of trying to make the playoffs was already there. Right, and, and I think instead, it, and yeah. instead of saying that, okay, we're gonna we're gonna start fresh. Yeah, they they tried to run with it. And, right. well, and that's why I think they brought in Ray Shearer because they felt that, oh, look at what he did in Pittsburgh. You know, we already have some of those pieces in place. You know, they started, but like, okay, to be fair, 
pretty sure with Shiro, they also had Crosby and Malkin and Latang and well, that's Flurry. That's what I'm saying. Like, uh, had... no one has those pieces. Of course, of course. So, so, you know, this is where, and see, this is one of the things I gave Jeff Gordon, the um, the GM of the Rangers, a lot of credit, is that two years ago he sent out a letter to every Rangers fan and said, "All right, look, here's the reality: we're not going to be that good. We're rebuilding. We have to, you know, we have to start." you know, getting younger, we have, you know, in order to become really good again. So you guys have to be patient with us. And like, I respected that because I'm like, at least you're telling the fans and giving them expectations so that they don't go into it thinking, oh, could we be us, you know, where, where are we going to be this year? You know, what is the, uh, what's the future look like? It, it's things like that. If the Devils went into next season or even in this, whenever this off season actually happens and say to the fans, look, we screwed up. Well, they probably wouldn't say that, but they could say something like, you know, we, you know, it would have been, you know, we, we were trying to, you know, win with the situation that we were in and, and we couldn't. And that's, and that's unfortunate, but now we're going in a new direction of trying to, you know, build this team from the ground up and, you know, eventually get back to being that competitive Stanley Cup contender that you guys would be proud of. And I think if they did something along the lines of that and told the fans straight up, I think that would give a lot of Devils fans a lot more optimism for everything instead of feeling like, again, going into next season, well, what the hell is, you know, what the hell can we expect? We have no idea where we're even at. We thought we were in a rebuild for five years, and now people are saying we have to rebuild the rebuild. But in reality, there was no rebuild in the first place. Yeah, and I think that's the problem is when you get those uh, incidents where he should, when he came in in 2015, he should have just said, screw it. You know, we're going to look at how this team was run. We're going to, instead of trying to build off, because he built, he tried building off of what was already built for him. Correct. Instead of just bulldozing everything and rebuilding it, which is what he should have done, which is what they all, like, what everything should have happened from that 2015-16 season. Mm-hmm. And they've never really admitted to it until now. And they even then haven't really admitted to it. So, you know, one thing that I like, you know, what Ottawa, what Ottawa did really well was that we played over our heads in, in the 2016, 17 season. Yes, we could have won the cup if we played Nashville, but there was a lot of problems, a lot of underlying problems. And it was shown the following year. And instead of trying to patchwork it and be like, to pretend that we're competitive, you know, Dorian Co. admitted that we need to rebuild the foundation. The foundation has started to crack. There are issues in the foundation. And when you have issues in the foundation, and this isn't even just, you know, from that season, this is foundational issues that started all the way back almost a decade earlier mm-hmm. in the 2008 9 season. That, that's really one thing. So these 10 years worth of foundational cracks, finally the foundation started to combust. Mm-hmm. And they're like, okay, we need, instead of trying to patchwork it and start filling these holes like they've been doing, right? They need to, re, they need to tear it all down and set up a whole new foundation, which they did. Sometimes and you got you to be bluntly honest with the fans. You can't sugarcoat it because fans are to, a lot smarter than – But you can't be honest with the fans if you're not honest with yourself, and that's right. what New Jersey has been dealing with. That's what Ottawa dealt with. That's what Toronto is dealing with. 
Montreal's been dealing with it. What a lot of, of teams the, have been dealing with. Part of the problem is that remember half the the owner the owners of the Devils are also the owners of the Philadelphia 76ers, and they have been able to, for you know, lack of a better term, be able to have more success with them because you know they've been they've been competitive team. They're you know a playoff team. They have stars. Blah blah blah. So in their mindset, they were thinking like, oh well, we could just try to do the same thing in in hockey. And it's like it doesn't. It doesn't work. But they also rebuilt the foundation. They got Ben Simmons, Joel. They had a process. It was literally, they they had a whole slogan. Trust the process. You haven't even started the pro, and you're expecting New Jersey to follow that success. You haven't even started the process with New Jersey. You just started the process. So now you have to throw that whole trust the process with New Jersey that you've been building with Philadelphia. You have to kind of go down and start from square one. And that's the thing is that until you until teams and I, and this is why Detroit has been and will continue to be a problem because they also had foundational issues when they lost in two thousand and nine. Yep, that's when you started to see. And then, instead, but instead of trying to add to it, instead mm-hmm. of trying to fix those foundational issues, they did what Ottawa did. They did what a lot of teams do, and that's just patchwork. And now they're in a situation where they have to rebuild the whole foundation, but they have no, none. They have no materials. They are lacking it severely. And LA is going to be in the same boat. San Jose is going to be in the same boat. Yep. You know, so, Chicago is starting to be in the same boat. They've had a couple of lucky draws, you know, Kirby Doc and then, you know, DeBrinkett being a second round pick. They've had a lot of they've had a lot of success drafting in the later rounds recently, but a lot of these teams have had issues when it comes like have, has you know Colorado had issues for a while with that foundation. Yeah. After Sackick and Forsberg and Co. And you know you it's it's unfortunately in sports you're gonna have to constantly rebuild a foundation. Of course, that's how you, that's <laughs> how you become good. That's how you eventually win championships. And I think. If the Devils ownership can just admit the fact that they had the wrong mindset when they took over the team and they need to change and go into this rebuild and be as honest with themselves as, as well as being as you know, honest with the fans, you know, that type of thing will go a long way. It really will. I, I think it would, it would not only give Devils fans some positivity and some satisfaction and say, okay, now we understand where we are. Um, but it would, but it would also create a different mindset from the owner's perspective of saying, okay, how do we invest in, you know, getting the best rebuild we possibly can? And then it's about like making sure you do the right thing. And I think it's, it's going to have to start with, it really is. It's going to have to start with if Fitzgerald is the GM, he has to say to the owners, this is exactly the type of attitude we need to have. Cause otherwise we're going to go down the same road and you guys are going to fire me in three or four years. And say the same thing about me that you said about Ray Shiro, that, oh, you know, the team isn't where we thought it would be. And that's the thing. Like, you know, the ownership after last season said in a press conference with Ray Shiro that they wanted, they thought that they wanted the team to be a much more competitive team. They wanted the team to be more exciting. And that's what resulted in the moves that they ended up making for P.K. Subban, Wade Simmons, Nikita Gusev. Like, they made those moves not just because they wanted to try to you know, please Taylor Hall so that they could be a competitive team, but because the owners wanted them, wanted Ray Shiro to do, you know, what they wanted him to do. And that was to make, 
you know, make this team good immediately. And Ray Shiro, I'm sure, had discussions with him to say, that's not, you know, we're not there. And if we do this, it's going gonna, it's gonna to hurt us in the, in the short term and it might hurt us in the long term. And that's unfortunately what we're seeing right now. Yeah, There's a lot of unknown. There's just a lot of unknown at the end of the day. And hopefully it, with a new GM and a different mindset, there might not be that much unknown. Oh, yeah, but I mean, there's always going to be unknown, right? Of course. Until, Especially like, with what we're going through right now. Yes, I mean, the situation doesn't help. Uh, no. But overall, That's, I think it's, uh, it's, it says something when, you know, fans will always be unknown, considering that, you know, they, they're the last to know everything. Right. You know, I mean, that's not true. Generally, players can end up being the last to know. Um, but it's, it's the fact that, like, it, owners act a certain way. They want things to be a certain way. And don't expect – and they expect it right away. Mm-hmm. Imagine what will happen in Pittsburgh when Crosby and Malkin retire, Latang retires, and that team just crumbles. Same thing with Washington, where if Backstrom and Ovechkin were like, and you have to look at yourself like that. And I think teams don't do it enough. Where if Crosby and Ovechkin, Crosby and Malcolm were were to be like, we're done, we're walking away from it at the end of this season. Are you in a position to succeed without that? And that, you know, that's the million dollar question. And it? most teams are going to say no. No, of course. And when you have low star players. You're going to say no. if you. And here's the thing. you And Vancouver was the same boat. With the Sedins retiring, were they in a position to be successful without them? Right. No. Were they put into a position to be successful in the next couple of years? Absolutely. Chicago's in a situation where if Kane and Taves were to just retire, right. would they be more successful? Would they be as successful or would they be worse off? They would probably be about even keel because you'd have Kirby Doc and DeBrinkett leading the way. And, right. and that's a good – those are two good guys to slot in. And, yeah, you would have like 10 million, 20, 21 million off your book. Mm-hmm. But it would also be the fact that you have the young guys slotted in. Would you be – you know? And, and I think that's the thing. Teams don't ask themselves that questions that much. Mm-hmm. When a player hits 30, a star player hits 30, you have to start asking your – like asking yourself, are we in a good position where if this person were to retire before, even if, even if it's contract was, was up, if this person were to just be like, I'm over it, I'm done. I'm walking away. You know, could we have success? And if the answer is no, that needs to change. Something needs to change. I mean, that, you know, that's one of the things. And, you know, the, the last thing I'll say about this is simply I'll use a comparison in football again and say, Look at the New England Patriots for the last 20 years. One of the things that makes Bill Belichick so good is that he knows when players have reached that point where they can no longer contribute to having consistent success. So what does he do? He gets rid of them. He either cuts them or he trades them or whatever. So even in the situation with you know Tom Brady going to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, Bill Belichick probably in his mind is like, you know what, Brady's at that point now where I, you know, we're not, you know, can't, do we feel comfortable? you know, with the team that we have, that we can still be successful even with him going somewhere else. And in probably in Bill Belichick's mind, he feels, yeah, absolutely. That's the way I look at it. And that was, and that was the thing. Like, people were saying, okay, Drew Bledsoe got hurt. 
do we have a good player behind him that can keep us winning? Yeah, it was Tom Brady. And what happens? He goes on and plays 20 years and, and it's really good. But there were a lot of players that came through the Patriots organization those last 20 years where they were only there for a certain amount of time and then they were traded, cut, or retired. And the Patriots just kept going. They just kept going because Belichick knew that he had to find players to replace these guys a year or two before it was, you know, before it was over. It was their time. Right. So that they were prepared to continue their trend instead of having maybe four or five years of being good and then having that decline and struggling for years afterwards. Yes. And I think, you know, a lot of teams, we're going to see. And I think this is like Boston has done a really good job at putting themselves in a position where if Bergeron, were, Bergeron, Chera, Rask were, were to just retire, uh, would they be able to succeed? And I think the answer would be would. yes. Uh, maybe not to the extent where they have right now. Yep. But they definitely would. Yep. If, you know, you look at a team like Tampa, if Hedman and Stamkos were to retire, I think so just because of Vasilevsky. I think he would be able to, but not for long. It wouldn't mm-hmm. be a long-term success. Right. Uh, and and I think that's the thing. If you, you, I think every three to five, three years, you should ask yourself as an organization, can we succeed without these players in our roster at any point? Not even just retiring. Right. You, if Stamkos goes out, or like, for example, Frado, could we succeed without Shabbat? If Shabbat could chuck out long term, mm-hmm. can we build a team that can be successful with them and without them? And I think Toronto has not been – like, that's the thing Toronto hasn't done, is build a team that is successful with – or without Matthews and Marner or Tavares. And that's what New Jersey, New Jersey has to look at Nico Heischer and Jack Hughes and be a, we, and straight out just be like, we need to build a team around these two players that can be successful and competitive if one, one or two of these players are hurt. Right. And if exactly. we cannot, we are not going to be successful. And that's, you know what? Pittsburgh may not have had a great postseason success, but when Crosby missed extended time, with concussions, Malkin stepped up, and they had a they they had a team built to have success, even though they weren't it wasn't leading to playoff success because that's a whole different kettle of fish. Yeah, you know that's playoff that's success right there that you need. Yeah, so you know that's that's a, that's a big thing, and that's a that's a big hope from my end. You know, just to see where, you know you know, just to see where the devils go with everything, you know, and it, it really, obviously a lot of it's going to be determined over the next couple of weeks when, you know, we're going to have, you know, we're going to have a draft, um, you know, you know, before the playoffs, are we going to have the playoffs? Are we just going to go into the off season? You know, a lot of questions are not going to be answered until, you know, we, we have more clarity and more certainty with everything. They should have just figured everything out in April. We make sense, but that's, that's, that's neither here nor there at this point. That's fair. But I think we'll wrap it up. Uh, another long episode, yeah. obviously. Yeah. Um, if you Again, <laughs> if you guys haven't heard the first part of this almost three-hour conversation, um, oh, you, know, you can head over to uh, Centurion Overtaking to, to take a gander because it was an interesting one. We talked a lot. We have, we yeah. have a lot to talk about. I think, next, <laughs> I think next week we'll try to shoot for four hours. I think next week we'll go for four. 
<laughs> oh my two oh who knows I, it's, I it's amazing I don't, situation it's i don't amazing. think the network would appreciate uh, two i think we're gonna get episodes. a call i think we're i think i'm gonna get a message from from the guys like later this week and just say you guys need to like have one or two things to talk about talk about it for 20 minutes and then just move on because that that's what that's what that's what bayou is so good at just messaging us in the middle of us talking saying all right we're gonna Guys, yeah, we, we need gotta, to move on. <laughs> we gotta wrap it up here. You guys are going. You got. We gotta finish off here. Oh man, we're. Uh, this is gonna ba- be a Bayou's long gonna. Long. Bayou's gonna message us later and just be like, "What? What did you do? What did you two talk about that it was not of talking?" Oh man. Hey, trust gonna... me. We, trust me. We go from talking hockey and all of a sudden we're comparing hockey teams to CFL teams. You know, it's like it, it, it has. It has its oh. moment. This, these podcasts have their moments. Hey, it's fun. It makes I enjoy it entertaining. It. I, I hope the great. listeners enjoy it too. This was great, and I'm looking forward to uh, looking forward to future uh, episodes, no doubt. Oh yeah, I mean, hey, we'll be back on Monday we'll with a brand on, new episode of yeah, the. I'll be, uh, I'll be a college. I'll be a college graduate by then, so that's. Oh, that's good. Congrats. Well, thank you, thank you, Scott. One more, one more day, one more day of class, then I'm done. What are you taking? Sports communication and broadcasting. Oh, that's fair. I was um, yeah. kind of right in my wheelhouse, basically. Yeah, that's fair. And then I'm, and then we'll see. And then uh, you know, I'll, I'll get my virtual PDF diploma on that day, and we'll uh, we'll see how that goes. Take the virtual um, graduation ceremony. It'll be great. Oh. It'll be great. But um, but yeah, looking forward to uh, looking forward to Monday, and I'm also looking forward to seeing what uh, what Bayou has to say after. About this episode. Oh yeah, Bayou. Uh, I'm just happy I'm not the one. Editing. I already have to edit my own episode. You know, you you have to edit the the, the Which, one. So I mean, to be fair, it's not going to be that hard. I'm literally just going to be like, "Hey, welcome to this." I'm just going to toss it in, and we'll just let it talk. So, right, right. It'll be good. Yeah. Be good. Anyways, guys. Um, look again. Another off-topic thing that we get into. <laughs> Um, you can find me at Shane underscore Ryan 97, as well as the Centurion 92 and check out my other podcasts with on 13th man, Spotify, Apple music, Apple podcasts, anchor, all that fun stuff. Um, yeah, it, again, uh, no benders, but you can find him at Bayou benders on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. Uh, he's everywhere on there. So find him there. Neil, where can we find you? So you can find me on Twitter at uh, T-H-E-N-V-P-S-H-O-W. Uh, you can find me on Instagram at N-V-P-Q-B-11. Um, you can also like and subscribe to the Mofobo Network podcast, which is on uh, Anchor FM as well as Spotify, where I basically talk about the things that are going on in the world of sports, different topics each week. I get uh, guests to come on every now and then. Got a couple more coming up in the next couple of weeks. Um, also the YouTube channel as well, the Mofobo Network YouTube channel. Um, and also, uh, my old YouTube channel, uh, from my old show that I used to, uh, used to do, uh, down in, uh, South Jersey, uh, the NVP show, um, where I did a bunch of different segments with different colleges. So you can go check those out as well. And also make sure to, uh, check out my book, J-E-T-S, Pain, 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 uh, The Pain and Suffering of Being a Jets Fan on, uh, Amazon.com as well. And those are some of the self plugs that I like to do every day. Man, this guy is just full of plugs, apparently. Holy hell. Self promoting to the fullest right here. (laughs) Anyways, guys, thank you for listening. 
no guarantee next Monday's not going to be just as long. You'll just have Bayou here to deal with too. So yeah. it's going to be three voices. So it might just be as great. So again, we'll see you on Monday. Enjoy this one. Stay safe. Practice your social distancing stuff. You're listening to the Hockey Podcast Network on Twitter at HockeyPodNet. New episodes every Monday and Thursday. Download at thehockeypodcastnetwork.com or wherever you get your podcasts from.